The Going Viral podcast from Health Ed shares the latest information on COVID-19 from authoritative voices and leading experts. You can find all episodes at healthed.com.au or if you're a registered health professional, you can listen on the Health Ed app as well as access many educational resources to support your professional development and practice. Hello and welcome to Health Ed's Going Viral. I am Dr. David Lim. It is Tuesday, the 1st of March. Professor Christine Jenkins discusses the reality of COPD patients and the SARS-CoV-2 virus. She explains what advice and precautions should be given to patients in the current COVID environment and what else GPs should do to help COPD patients if they get COVID-19. Before we start, I'd like to encourage you to register for tonight's webcast, where you can always catch a high quality lineup of speakers and topics that Health Ed has put together for you. Register now at healthed.com.au. Professor Jenkins, tell us about yourself. Hello, David. I'm a respiratory physician and I'm head of the respiratory group at the George Institute for Global Health. And I've worked at Concord Hospital as a thoracic physician for all of my professional life. I've also chaired the Lung Foundation most recently over the last six years. I'm very interested in patient advocacy. And my area of research interest is airways disease. And of course, more recently, how COVID-19 impacts people with airways disease. And Christine, that's what we're going to look at today is the convergence of COVID-19 in patients with COPD. So let's start with this question. How rare or common is it for patients with COPD to get COVID-19? It's an interesting question because I don't think we have the full answer to this. The reason being that people with COPD have been very aware of their increased risks during the pandemic they in general have taken the uh, advice to socially distance, wear masks, um, practice hand hygiene carefully, get vaccinated promptly, very seriously. They're very aware of the adverse consequences if they were to get any respiratory viral infection. And many of them have had hospitalizations because of simple infections such as rhinovirus. So they've taken it seriously and therefore potentially have not been as exposed as perhaps some people might be without a chronic lung disease such as COPD uh, or in a younger age group. So uh, we can't fully answer the question except to say that people with COPD have not appeared to suffer from COVID-19, a SARS-CoV-2 infection, as frequently as younger people in the community. Now, I don't think this means they're more resistant. I simply think it means they mm -hmm. received their vaccinations promptly, they've taken social distancing very, very seriously. And we also know, we'll talk about this later, that there have been fewer people having COPD exacerbations and presenting to hospital. I think that's actually a very important message for everyone to hear because the mind suggests that they are at particular risks, but because they are both vaccinated, but especially looking after themselves with protecting themselves, they're actually having less disease possibly. And it's, it's a message that the rest of Australia ought to hear, really. 
it's a really important message. And as we go on to have this discussion, David, I'm going to emphasise a few things that are quite counterintuitive in relation to what has happened with COPD patients during the pandemic. I think we all feared that it was going to be dire and that people with COPD were going to be particularly vulnerable. And when they combined their disease with their age and their comorbidities, that that would really be a sort of triple whammy in terms of uh, very, very adverse outcomes from COVID-19. And it hasn't turned out that way. And we'll talk about that in a moment. I'd love to hear more. Now, for those that did get sick, have you noted any differences in the presentation and outcomes of COVID-19 in patients with COPD? The simple answer to that is no. The patients with COPD in general have presented in a similar way. They've had similar symptoms uh, initially with uh, the Wuhan and, and Alpha. The symptoms were of fever uh, and an upper respiratory type presentation, but not with prominent rhinorrhea, more a scratchy throat, loss of taste, um, and smell, those were the sort of symptoms. And then ultimately, quite quickly, sometimes progressing to breathlessness, severe breathlessness. And of course, on top of having underlying lung disease, the fact that the patient might then be developing pneumonia does have a much more serious impact for patients with COPD. But in the first instance, to answer your question, no, they haven't developed a different spectrum of symptoms. They haven't had a different presentation um, style or uh, complex of symptoms, although some of them have had much worse hypoxemia and, of course, because of their chronic lung disease, have needed hospital admission more, more probably, and also some of them an ICU admission, particularly early in the pandemic. But later in the pandemic, with Omicron and even with Delta, when we had a much higher proportion of the population vaccinated, they have not necessarily appeared to have more severe outcomes as they did most definitely have early on. I didn't expect that. So that's, that's great news, really. Now, is the severity of COVID related more to, as we mentioned, the uh, existing risk factors of age, obesity, diabetes, or does COPD actually confer an additional risk on top of these, even though we've heard that they don't present with different symptoms and they don't seem to have a worse outcome? But is there something about COPD that is an additional risk? Yes, I should elaborate on my earlier comment. And when I said earlier in the pandemic, I'm really probably referring to the first year. In the first year, the publications show quite clearly around the world that patients who do have COPD and who get COVID who were not vaccinated and required a hospital admission did have slightly worse outcomes. However, now when I first started looking at the data that was coming out of Wuhan, the first several published papers, large series of patients with COVID-19, I expected to see COPD up there just loud and clear one of the major risk factors for mm. hospitalisation and death. Mm. But it was only very slightly in some series more likely to be associated with uh, ICU admission and death. 
And that was very surprising because we're talking about a Chinese population where smoking is very, very prevalent in amongst males in particular, and also where we would expect COPD to be very prevalent. So we would have expected if COPD was a major risk factor for a bad outcome to really see it in those first studies. Mm. We saw a, a small increase in risk of ICU admission and death. We're talking around a 15% increase over people who had other comorbidities. But some of the other comorbidities were much more important in determining risk of ICU admission and death. Diabetes, cardiovascular disease, obesity, age, being male, they all outclassed COPD as predictors of a more severe outcome and death from COVID-19. So, you know, we, we, we get a surprise here and we have to ask why. What is it about COVID-19 that is not resulting in this kind of expected um, increase of severe outcomes in patients with COPD? And where has that question taken you to? <laughs> I, I, I'm very interested in the data that has emerged this year, or, or I should say 2021, uh, which has very clearly indicated that COPD exacerbations as a cause of hospital admission are greatly reduced compared to usual uh, admission rates. And there's a very interesting study from North America, from Maryland, actually, from the US, which looked at this in relation not just to COPD admissions in the previous couple of years, but also to other comorbid conditions that are associated with high probability of hospital admission, diabetes, myocardial infarction, stroke and heart failure. And what they showed was COPD admissions were still reduced by 36% compared to those diseases and by 50% overall. And that 50% factor, so COPD admissions uh, for an exacerbation being halved on average during the pandemic, that is seen in a very large meta-analysis from 13 different countries and also in a number of different studies now. So it's not unique to one area and it's not unique to one country. It's not unique to one health service delivery pattern. It's not unique to certain resources not being available to COPD patients or to people who have chronic illness because other diseases, as I mentioned, things like stroke, heart failure, et cetera, patients are still being admitted. So, you know, we, we've learned what the strongest association with this is reduced viral illness, reduced respiratory viral illness in particular. And so that's particular study I cited in Maryland, but several others, one in New Zealand, uh, one in Singapore, one in Taiwan, and um, a study from Denmark, show very, very clearly that we have had fewer other respiratory viruses circulating during this time. And amongst people who are admitted, respiratory viruses have been markedly reduced as a likely trigger for uh, an admission or an exacerbation. And, you know, this is again reflecting the fact that during the pandemic, we seem to have had fewer respiratory clinical infections, fewer episodes of pneumonia presenting to New South Wales emergency departments is well documented with uh, New South Wales Health and fewer deaths from respiratory diseases in Australia. So 
you know, the, the lack of respiratory infection, is it a lack or is it that people are taking so much more care in reducing transmission of respiratory infection? Probably both. The coronavirus, you know, viruses compete with each other for domination. And, uh, and so the presence of the coronavirus is probably important in this, but also uh, the fact that people's behaviours have changed so dramatically and so importantly in reducing respiratory viral illness. I'm just wondering, in light of that, uh, Christine, would we ever see included in some of the new guidelines yet to come uh, for patients with COPD, the persistence and use of masks in social situations. And for those who are particularly unwell, uh, to ask them to be wise about how they expose themselves to uh, crowded social situations. What, do you think that might have legs? I really think it has legs, David. And I, I had a great interest in this um, many years ago. And it, that came out of my concern that pharmacotherapies for COPD were really only reducing exacerbations on average by around 20 to 25% at best. And I could see that because most exacerbations were preceded by a viral respiratory infection, that if we could reduce viral respiratory transmission, we could really potentially make a bigger difference to the risk of a COPD exacerbation. Um, I, I tried to get funding for uh, an NHMRC project uh, that looked at the clinical trial to, to try to test this, and, and I didn't succeed, as one often doesn't in NHMRC. But I think the findings from the last two years are resonatingly positive in terms of the value of social distancing, mask wearing and hand hygiene. Now, which of those is most important, I think, is still a somewhat unanswered question, um, particularly because the virus, the variants have, have differed in their predominant mode of, of transmission. So, you know, we thought Alpha and Delta were most uh, significantly transmitted by droplets, whereas we know that Omicron is more substantially transmitted by aerosol and it's highly contagious in part for that reason. Uh, so different variants may have different modes of transmission and that means that different um, modes of protection could be more or less important. So I wouldn't like to say, oh, well, definitely mask wearing is the one that matters and hand hygiene doesn't matter so much or, you know, social distancing doesn't matter so much. I think it will vary, but I think, you know, as, as a behavioural strategy for COPD patients and patients with asthma, and exacerbations um, that are associated with viruses. You know, there's some simple messages that can come out of this, and uh, I think they're very important. I just think that when we get used to it, Christine, you know, wearing a mask and washing our hands or using the hand sanitizers, you really don't want to start debating it so that people will take one or the other, uh, but always see them together. I think that's a, a simple yeah. thing. Yeah. But the second is that a 50% reduction in hospitalization is huge. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. It's colossal and uh, particularly for COPD, which is the second leading cause of preventable hospital admissions in Australia. At various times, it's been the leading cause. And so it's a big burden disease in hospitals and in respiratory units. It's a big cost to the system. So these behavioural strategies are cheap. 
you know, they're very cheap. To a person, we might argue that they're not cheap. For instance, if I say, as I've been in the habit of saying to my COPD patients, you need to be very, very careful around your grandchildren. You need to consider limiting the amount of time you spend with them in winter. You know, these are tough messages for patients who, particularly who are badly affected by their COPD and who might think the end of their life is not far away. They adore their grandchildren and they love the time with them. And many of them would say, I don't care. <laughs> I would rather be with my grandchildren. But it's still important for us as clinicians to convey this information to them and to say, look, sadly, that's one of the places, the, one of the interactions that you are especially prone to pick up a viral respiratory infection and therefore take care. Maybe wear a mask, maybe wear gloves and change your gloves if you're handling their toys and all the things that you're picking up that they've sort of, you know, had their hypersecretory um, fingers all over and take care with hand washing. Wash your hands many times. Don't put your hands to your face. Things like that. You know, I think there are some very good messages that can come that are practical and, and could make a difference. I think you've just answered my next question, which was, apart from smoking cessation and ensuring that the patients with COPD get all their vaccines, you know, COVID, flu and pneumonia, what else can we do to get a better outcome? So I've really, I think you've answered a lot of those questions. Are there other things we can ask the patients to do to improve their outcomes? I think those behavioural things are very important. And I think that patients have been very uh, sensitised to their risks as a result of COVID. Fear of COVID as a fatal disease, I think, has particularly driven that. So potentially if the variants become milder, as with Omicron, people could become a bit complacent. <laughs> and so I think we have yet to see whether or not these variants do exacerbate airways disease. <laughs> so far, they don't seem to have the same one might say exacerbation potential as some common viruses such as rhinovirus do have. <laughs> we don't understand why that is, and it's a very, very important research question that hopefully in the next few years will be examined in a lot more detail. But for the time being, I think avoiding complacency, <laughs> making sure we as clinicians and patients really do continue to be concerned about the potential risks and to encourage patients to be very careful about their exposures is important. The other key thing, I, I agree with you about smoking cessation, of course, and uh, I think the other key thing is that patients, that you revise your written action plan with patients. As a GP, this is really, really important. And I have concerns that a number of steps in care are being are bypassed as a result of virtual consultations. Um, one of those steps, I believe, could well be the writing of an action plan. And I think that these plans are really important for patients. They may not recognise quite how important they are. The doctor needs to say it, needs to really prepare the patient for using an action plan appropriately, self-medication with steroids, having a spare script for an antibiotic if needed, you know, a number of different things need to be undertaken. And I think we've just got to be very, very watchful that we don't let all of that sort of, you know, fly under the radar because it's actually very important um, in 
terms of the pharmacotherapy for the patient, it's just as important as the other major thing that I would still encourage, and that is making sure your patient is using their inhaler correctly. And I might make just one final comment, which I think is a space that we need to watch. It might be that inhaled corticosteroids reduce the probability of a severe episode of COVID-19. There's some preliminary data that suggests this may be the case in asthma patients. And there are two studies that I'm aware of underway of a a substantial nature to, to look at this issue in COPD. So I think that this is a very important question. We know now we've got treatments and those treatments actually include dexamethasone, which is one of the very first things we discovered can make a difference to people who get COVID-19. So I think it's conceivable and it's it's biologically plausible that inhaled steroids do um, reduce the risk of a severe episode of COVID-19. And if that's the case, then encouraging patients to be adherent because their treatment is really good for them rather than bad for them in the pandemic. It flies in the face of some things we've been told, uh, Christine, in the sense that, you know, not every patient Oh, I wouldn't know. This with asthma needs the steroids. I suspect the same is true for patients with COPD. And so what do you think uh, during a pandemic, if a patient is already on a LAMA, LABA, should they or would an inhaled steroid be helpful or just leave them as is if they're well controlled? Great question, David. I think they should be left as is. So, you know, the indication for inhaled steroid prescription is uh, in a patient who is exacerbating, suffering frequent exacerbations. So if patients are not exacerbating, they should not be on inhaled steroids. And as yet, we do not have the evidence from these clinical trials to be able to say that inhaled steroids definitely reduce the risk of exacerbations or the risk of a severe outcome from COVID. Um, so uh, in the pandemic, so I, I think that it still is very important not to prescribe inhaled steroids unless you have an exacerbating pa- a frequently exacerbating patient. Um, so that's a patient having an exacerbation, one or more exacerbations a year. And I think if you've just got a person on Lava Lama and that's appropriate for them according to the guidelines, that's what they should stay on. But I look forward to more from the research of inhaled steroids in severity of COVID. Sounds exciting. I think it is uh, because, you know, we always worry that inhaled steroids have risks associated with them. And that's what we've always got to be careful about. Um, But in this instance, it might just be in the pandemic that they have contributed to that uh, phenomenon. We've seen that we're seeing fewer fewer COPD patients with exacerbations. Who knows? (laughs) It's exciting. Now, here's a question, Um, you know, with acute exacerbations, and if they've got a good written plan, and they've got a nice stash of oral steroids at home, but they are kind of aware, or some of them might be aware that steroids do reduce one's immunity or immune response to infections. How should GPs talk to a patient about the use of oral steroids uh, in a COVID pandemic? Yes, that's a great question too. I, I think the value here is that we do know that oral steroids will, uh, are advantageous in reducing a severe episode, the severity of an episode of uh, COVID-19. So that's in a particular group of patients, people who are oxygen requiring, people who are imminently going to be ventilated, etc. 
we don't know it for early stages of COVID-19. So, you know, we have to be a little careful about saying, oh, steroids are really good for you in, in the pandemic. Not at all. But on the other hand, I think we can say everything we have observed during the pandemic, we have no reason to think that a course of steroids that is required for an exacerbation of COPD is going to be damaging to that patient in relation to their increased any increased risks of a bad outcome. So it's better to treat an exacerbation promptly. It's better to terminate it as quickly as you can. And therefore, I'd be saying to the patient myself, it's best we step in early before you deteriorate to try to prevent you having to go to hospital is really important. And so taking a short course of prednisone from everything we've observed in the pandemic is not harmful in relation to your risk of COVID and is likely to help this exacerbation settle down promptly. You know, there's no doubt that long-term steroids are not good for our immune systems. And, and, and so we're not wanting to give a lot, a long course here. We would be wanting to give a 10-day course, seven to 10 days, and, and that's all. You know, from what I've just learned from you, Christine, I'm just even wondering if I could use new knowledge and tell them that, yes, um, even if it may have some impact on your immune system, the fact is if you stay away from lots of people and wear masks and wash your hands, you're probably going to be better off anyway being treated and staying away from people because you're not exposed to new viruses. Absolutely. I think that's a very legitimate uh, conclusion to draw, David, and uh, I, I'd, I'd say the same to patients. You know, I, I think the message is to them, as I said, we don't want to cause them to be complacent about steps mm -hmm. to take to protect themselves. But at the same time, the patients can be very, very anxious. They've had it, especially if they've had a history of a hospital exacerbation or ventilation. They know how unpleasant that is. And so, you know, reassuring them that if you manage your COPD proactively, if you take your short course of prednisone promptly, don't put it off if you're getting worse. Use your action plan and uh, and then you know, it'll be over and you won't need to go to hospital. And we have no reason to be worried about it in terms of increasing COVID risk if you're observing all the other behavioural things. I just suddenly realised just the fact that you can keep them out of hospital during COVID times is such a big plus. <laughs> you know, patients, when, when I started medicine, patients loved being in hospital. They don't anymore. <laughs> It's amazing, isn't it? Now, having spoken about things that help, are there interventions or things that we do to patients with COPD that might actually put them at higher risk? There isn't anything that we know specifically. The, the most important things I would say is to recognise that we often don't focus on the broad spectrum of problems that are confronting the patient. And in particular, if the COPD is the dominant sort of symptom complex they suffer from, we may forget about the fact that they have underlying cardiovascular disease, that they're not physically active, that they are gaining weight, uh, a number of things that are really significant risk factors for worse outcomes with COVID-19. Diabetes is another so I think actually paying attention to comorbidities and managing them optimally is really important in COPD patients and it will help reduce their risks also. Other steps are things you've already mentioned, 
vaccination is crucially important. Uh, and, uh, and I think that uh, making sure that the patients are using their devices correctly. As I understand it, uh, a very high proportion of virtual consultations uh, initially and even last year were undertaken by telephone. And it concerns me that some of the things that we do for COPD patients are things that require in-person observation. Obviously, maybe a video consultation can, can address some of those things. Pulmonary rehab is another thing that's very valuable for patients. And there are uh, virtual pulmonary rehab programs. So there's a way of patients connecting, uh, doing some physical activity, even supervised by physiotherapists. So there are lots of options to try to maintain their well-being across the board and not just in relation to uh, getting the, the treatment right. That's so important for us to see the patient as a whole. Absolutely. And patients with COPD have a lot of worries and anxieties and you know they they really are very limited sometimes in their ability to interact in social settings that they'd like to be part of so I think it's really important to try to get things right for them you know in terms of their quality of life. I've got a question here about living with COVID Christine uh, we've we have already mentioned how hard it is to ask um, grandparents to stay away from their grandchildren. But there are other things that people with COPD also like to do. They might like to go out and socialise, to go to the pubs and clubs to meet their mates and have a drink. And also some of them would like to resume travel, domestic and international. Mm -hmm. So how would you counsel patients about these sorts of activities? Yes, these activities are a higher risk. You know, it, it is higher risk to be going into indoor spaces, particularly if there isn't regard for social distancing, if they're sitting around a table at a bar, in a pub, a bit crowded. As winter comes on, the windows will be closed. Uh, you know, there'll be less good ventilation, less opportunity to just be having you, your beer in the beer garden, you know, so I, I think that patients do need to be encouraged to think carefully about the circumstances in which they end up in possibly crowded spaces where there isn't as much attention to uh, social distancing and, and where even for themselves, even if there is a spacing limit, sometimes, you know, once we get a beer in our hand or whatever and we're having fun with friends, you know, we just <laughs> completely forget about all the stuff we're meant to be doing. So... You know, I, I would take a lot of care in saying to patients, don't, don't rush in at that kind of thing. Sit outside, uh, do stuff you can do with a friend, walking in the park, whatever, walking your dog, all those things, yes. And you can wear a mask in those circumstances, although some COPD patients find that very difficult. But if they're outdoors, I'd be encouraging them to be active. But indoors, I'd be a little careful. Flying. I certainly would, would take care at the moment. It really depends on the prevalence of, you know, the infection as time goes by, the Omicron peak appears to be over in the eastern states, but, you know, we, we really don't know. You know, Paul Kelly, the CMO, just a week or 10 days ago said, you know, the Omicron peak is over, but Omicron isn't over and COVID isn't over. Mm. So, you know, I take that advice seriously and, and I'd be suggesting to patients that they just take care and flying, especially at the moment. I'd, I'd wait till it's a bit less prevalent in the community. Thank you for that advice. 
One thing I forgot to mention, and it's something that maybe as GPs we ought to do, is to actually have the patients reflect on how well they have been since they've been looking after themselves and, and really allow them to think that they actually have an illness that is not out of their control, that is actually very much in their own hands. Um, would that be a helpful strategy? That would be a really helpful strategy. I, I totally agree with that. You know, I, I think that we often don't give the good news stories. We often, you know, are saying to patients, be careful of this and don't do this and being very prohibitive in the information that we deliver when really we should be enabling. And, and it's a very, very positive message, actually. This is not what we expected from the pandemic. As I said early on, I thought we were going to see a catastrophic outcome for people with chronic respiratory disease, and we haven't. So I think those messages, as you suggest, are, are really valuable, say reassuring things to patients about what we've learned and how valuable these interventions are, these behavioural interventions. It doesn't require drugs. It's not expensive and we can all do it. And people accept now that you might wear a mask. People accept that you will be a little careful when you're talking to somebody face-to-face. -face. You know, these are really valuable bits of information to give patients. Christine, do you have any final uh, messages for our GP listeners? My message is thank you for looking after the COPD patients and all the patients with respiratory disease and symptoms so well because this has been such a tough gig for health professionals and my colleagues in respiratory medicine have really been at the front line but I think GPs have been another part of the front line and you know it's been very tiring it's been very demanding it's required a lot of adaptation it's also required sidelining some things that you really would be prefer prefer to be doing with your patients you know and I think trying to get back to doing the, the, the principles of care that we know are comprehensive and not just things that we plug the gaps with with a telephone consultation. I think it's really important. But my, my main message is a big thank you. May I just summarise some things that I think are really important, that what, what you've said. Uh, the first is do not neglect uh, updating the written action plans. Uh, if possible, please check on the, their inhaler techniques. Do not forget about the other comorbidities the patient may have because they really put patients at risk. And of course, the vaccinations uh, make, make sure they're up to date. And if you want to, there are resources like pulmonary rehab, which you say can be uh, available online. Is that right? Absolutely. And since you mentioned online, David, I'd also say the Lung Foundation has a fantastic set of resources for patients about COVID-19, patients with chronic lung disease. And so if they just Google Lung Foundation Australia, they will get that information very easily. And, and that's very dependable, updated regularly, and, and I think probably very helpful for patients. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, David. Delightful to speak to you too. Thank you. Just a quick reminder as we wrap up to encourage you to register for tonight's webcast, where you can always catch a high-quality lineup of speakers and topics that Health Ed has put together for you. 
HealthEd webcasts are carefully created to provide high-quality video and audio so that you have the best possible learning experience. It's free, you get CPD points, and it's all delivered directly to the digital device of your choice, wherever you choose to be. Register now at healthed.com.au. You can claim RACGP CPD points for listening to this podcast using the self-claim option. Log into your account on the RACGP website, go to the CPD section and click on self-claim.